All right, we are back. Welcome to another episode of the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Thank you for joining me on another journey across the podcast airwaves. A really special one today or this week as I talk to Mr. Runstreak himself. Um, <laughs> you know, we all have we all have that one runner friend who's got their daily running streak. Hey, I'm at 356. Hey, I'm at 672. Whatever it is, I'm talking to Andy Glaze, who currently is on a 179-week streak with 100-plus miles or more. Um, very, very inspiring and in how he got into doing that, what's kept him going with it, how he gets uh, those miles in around his full-time job. Uh, we talked some of his racing, his journey into trail running. Uh, very... Very influential, very inspiring, and uh, just a really great individual and conversation altogether. So I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you, and welcome to the Trail Life, Mr. Andy Glaze. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. Well, I don't want to fight. First time that we are meeting here, so I a I want to thank you for jumping on and having this conversation with me. I know you're you're busy and you kind of worked it into your work schedule here today. So yeah, I appreciate you doing that. I I think before um, we get into kind of your backstory and how you got started in trail running or running all together, you know the the one thing that I think everybody always asks you about probably, and you probably talk a lot about is the streak you got going on. Right. Um, we, and if my listeners don't know, um, we all have that, that one runner friend or a couple runner friends that do the daily, like, Hey, I need to get my one mile in or my two miles in. And, and they have a streak of that sense, but you've taken that to a completely different level and have a, I think it's 178 weeks right yeah. now at this point right yeah at 100 plus miles so right. mathematically that's just over three years three and a half something i think like we're that. getting we're getting close to three and a half so one one of my followers did the math for me and they said i was getting close so you know i i guess i probably am what what uh what brought like i gotta just start right here what brought that streak on like what got you started with that and was it was it something you were you even had in mind of you know what i'm gonna try this out and see what happens or if it it was just something that you had done for a couple of weeks and you realized like oh i've i've run a couple i've run 100 miles in this many weeks and let's just see if i can keep going with it how did how did it all get started well i mean so um so I, i've streaked 100 mile weeks before uh i think in in 2018, I did 28 weeks in a row. Um, so when I started again, like I knew that I could do it and I knew what it felt like, but you know, um, I, I'm just a high volume runner in general. And, and I, and maybe I didn't always hit a hundred miles, but like I was always getting pretty close to a hundred, um, back in 2018 when I did the 28 weeks in a row. And so 
you know, it, it became just a sort of like a training thing. I was training for bad water at the time. And so I was putting a lot of miles, um, on the road to get ready for bad water. Um, and bad water went terribly and then it ended the streak. So, um, and then, so fast forward, like I didn't do the streak for a while, you know, I just did my normal high volume, whatever. And then, um, like COVID happened and all the races got canceled and I just sort of like needed something to something like to, con- to do and connect, connect with the sports still, I guess. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like when I started it, I think I had like a couple thousand followers on social media. So it wasn't even like a social media thing. It was just like a, just like a me thing. You know, I'd still, I'd post pictures, you know, this is even before reels and all, you know, TikTok and all that stuff. So, you know, I'd post a picture like, you know, week one, week two, whatever. Um, And, and so like COVID sort of happened and then I got like real crazy. And I was like, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to run a thousand miles in a month. And which is like, you know, that's kind of like what Candace did, right? She was running like 200 something mile weeks. And so I, I started like doing like a thousand mile month. And, and then I was like, I'm going to be number one on Strava. And so like, you know, I started, like I think like one month I got like, I don't know, like something stupid, like 1130 miles or something like that. And I uh, got number one on Strava. And then I was like, I'm going to do it again. And I did it again. And then this was like December and then January and then February came. I couldn't do it in February. It was just like, cause it's only a 28 day month. Mm-hmm. So I think I got like 934 miles in February. I ended up doing 18 weeks of 200 mile weeks. And yeah. And so then that just got like, I mean, I, when Candace was doing her, uh, running ultra every day, I totally felt for her because <laughs> I did it for 18 weeks and it was like, it was a lot, you know, yeah. it was, and especially cause I was working full time. So, um, on the days I was working, I couldn't run as much. And so then when I would like on my off days, I didn't up running like, like 45 miles on my off days to like compensate for the days that like I was at work and couldn't get high enough mileage. Yeah. And I think one day in order to make it a thousand miles, I had to run like 65 miles on the last day. So, you know, I think I ran 45 miles like the day before, and then I had to run 65 the next day, which I did. Um, so, you know, it, it, it got a little crazy like that. So then when I dropped it back down to a hundred, I was like, felt kind of easy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was just, you know, I mean, COVID lasted for so freaking long and races were canceled for so long that by the time races opened up, I was already like a year and a half, two years into this streak. And then, you know, so now it's like, you know, I've just, it's like normal now. I just continue on and mix in races and, you know, yeah, do what I, I gonna, need to do. I was going to ask, cause you're, you're a full-time firefighter, correct? Yeah. Um, so how does, how is that working? Cause like you said, you had to you know, working with and with work, and you had to get a sixty mile day in and stuff like that. How yeah. how difficult did it become, or is it and is it still kind of difficult to work it in with your schedule right now and how that everything? So I mean, uh, firefighters are like you know we get to work out on duty because I'm at work for like several days at a time, and and we have like sort of set times we can work out. Like we can work out in the morning for like an hour, hour and a half, yeah. and then in the evening, um. 
like after dinner, dinner time, that's like our time to do what we want to do. Cause it's like, um, you know, we can't be on, I mean, we're still responding to 911 calls, but like, there's not like work to be done after like 5 PM. Right. So, um, so like most people or most firefighters, you know, watch TV or do work on their personal projects or something like that in the evening. And I run, so you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a balancing act because, um, you know, I have to be able to be, get to the engine super fast if we get a 911 call. Right. So I end up just like, I have a radio that weighs like a couple pounds and, uh, you know, I, I got my aftershocks so I can, I can listen to my radio, but then also listen to like a podcast. And I just do like loops around the fire station. Like, <laughs> okay. That was my question is, yeah, <laughs> is thousands of loops. Uh, what's your what's your station. what's your mile loop or what's your mileage loop that you're doing around the the station? It's it's not even a mile. It's probably like I think the furthest I get away is probably like 0.2 miles away from the station because wow. I I literally if if like if we get dispatched I have to like sprint back and and get to the you know the engine within like a minute you know yeah. which is like I I. I, I work at a two-story station. So by the time everyone's up on the second story, walks downstairs, gets in the rig, like I'm running up at the same time and, you know, it, it like, it works right. out. Wow. So, but yeah, it's like, you know, obviously I, I've run thousands of miles. I, as a firefighter, run thousands of miles. So at the station, so I've gotten really good at managing it, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a delicate balance. And then we also, we have, um, we have a five-story building across the streets, like college dorms, mm-hmm. which, which out with an outdoor stairwell. So a lot of times I'll go over there and just run the stairs, just Ooh. tons. And that way I get vert and maybe I get lower miles, but I can get like thousands of feet of vert every day, just doing stairs. Just doing stairs. Wow. It's, you know, it's, it's very monotonous. But then when people ask me, well, like, how do you do a hundred mile loop course? I'm like, it's really not that hard for me mentally. It's like I'm, <laughs> well, I'm, I've already done it so many times. I was going to say mentally, it it actually is probably a relief in a sense yeah. because you don't you're not seeing the same quarter mile. <laughs> right, a mile loop is way nicer than a quarter mile loop. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, so, wow. And especially because yeah. you know, in an ultra, I don't have to worry about cars and pedestrians and all that stuff. And always like, you know, when you run and you like relax, you like you your brain turns off like. When I'm at work, I I can't relax when I'm running. It's not as nice because the whole time I'm like listening for that call that might drop, you know? So it's like, I can't turn off all the way, which uh, is not quite as nice as like, obviously when you're at home. Yeah. What, um, and it's, are you blogging mostly uh, trail miles? Are you like whatever you can get in road, road trail? Like you said, you're adding some stairs in. It doesn't give you a lot of mileage, but and so you're doing a combination of everything at this point. Yeah. I mean, at home, I have a lot of trail systems near my house and being someone that runs like really far. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll run to the trail system, run the trails and then run home. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, why drive to the the trailhead when I can just run there and just log a couple extra miles. And then I have a, a, a fair amount of like mountains um, pretty close by as well that I can drive to and it's yeah um, get some pretty good vert. Like um, my my training ground is San Gregonio, which is the highest peak in Southern California. And it's like 11,500 feet, okay. which is, you know, pretty good. And then it's like, it's like nine miles up with like 6,000 feet of vert. Wow. So 
you know, it, it, it puts some hair on your chest and it's, it's really good for those mountain ultras. And then I just have probably like three or four other mountains that are similar, a little bit shorter, maybe 10, 10, five that have uh, like similar, like runnable trails that I can get to pretty easy. So in the summertime, when there's lots of rattlesnakes, I like to hit the mountains. Uh, in the wintertime, when there's lots of snow, I hit like my local trail systems. Got it. Are you, sorry, you're, you're a firefighter in Redlands. Is that right? I, I live in Redlands and I'm a firefighter in Laverne, which is Got LA it. County. So are um, you, are you originally from Redlands or did you move there just because of the job? No, I, so I was born and raised here. Um, I, I got sent away cause I was a bad kid when I was 16 and then I didn't move back until I think I was like 27 or something like that. So for like 11 years, I, I lived in like uh, other parts in California. I lived in Oregon and Portland. I lived in like Dallas, Texas. I lived in New York City and Brooklyn. Um, so I, I've moved around a bunch like in my 20s yeah. and then um, moved back here when I was 27 and that's when I sort of like decided I did career change and became a firefighter then. Um, so, and then like my whole family's still here and you know, all it's, you know, it's, it's nice. Like, uh, you know, when I was in my twenties, I wanted to see the world and I wanted to live a lot of places. And then now that I'm like older, it's like, you know, my mom lives a mile from me. Yeah, my my like dad being close to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, I was the same like, way. Like <laughs> want to live in a bunch of different spots, go travel in my twenties. And now I'm like, you know what? I don't need to do that. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and um, it's like, I got three kids. So it's like, you know, you got babies built in babysitters, you know, with the grandparents and all that yeah, stuff. 100%. So, so yeah. what, what got, because you moved away when you're in a teenager, like when did you start your you're running. Did you, was it, was it something you did when you were younger or is it something that you got into when you were a little bit older? Like, no, I, I mean, I didn't get into, I mean, okay. So I, I played football, um, pretty much up until I got sent away till I was 16. I started like pop Warner, like I think third grade. So I was like athletic growing up, but I, I never did cross country or ran or anything like that. And then got into trouble, started smoking cigarettes, drugs, drinking, um, stopped exercise and didn't start it again until I was like maybe 24. So, um, basically, um, you know, I was 24 and like, like, I'm sure I had a similar mindset in my brain, but like I, uh, had suppressed it all and like not done any activity. And so I started kind of, you know, getting a lot of anxiety and like sort of depression type things because I was, you know, 24, not doing anything physically. Um, I didn't want to do anything physically. You know, I just, well, I was just like a lazy, like type person. Um, and yeah. I mean, I ended up taking, um, I got a personal trainer because I started getting anxiety and pe people were like, you know, this is kind of before the internet when, you know, you could self-diagnose and like, you know, listen to a podcast on like yeah. how to, you know, fix yourself. And so, um, in talking to friends and stuff like that, they suggested that I try exercise as a way to like, you know, deal with the emotional distress that I was going through. And, um, 
So I did, I, I got a personal trainer. I went to, you know, 24 hour fitness or whatever, and started like lifting weights and doing the elliptical trainer and just being active. And it was, you know, I hadn't been active since I was like 16. So, you know, it was, it was empowering. You know, I was still young and fit. I just, you know, I was like skinny fat, you know, so started to build muscle and get stronger and, you know, do all the, the cool things that happen when you start working out and you haven't worked out. You see, you see a lot of like quick uh, changes before you plateau yeah. and then you have, you know, so it's like, it's like very rewarding at first. And um, I ended up taking a, a class on exercise science at a community college to learn more about how the body works. And um, cause again, we didn't really have, we had the internet, but it wasn't like the same, you know? And so like, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to learn something, you either read a book or you took like college classes or something on it. So yeah. I took a college class on it, learned a ton about the body, how it works, how, you know, exercise science. I mean, it was literally an exercise science class and I had to run in that class. So, um, yeah, I, I literally started running in that class. I had to run a mile and a half on the like first day and the last day and uh, never quit. I just, uh, you know, kept adding and running and, you know, for a long time, maybe, maybe like 10 years, I, I didn't really go much further than like maybe a half marathon, um, distance, but, um, yeah, I mean, pretty consistently besides like a couple medical issues, like kidney stones and stuff like that. I've, I've run like consistently since I was 24. So it's now I'm 45 now. So God, I'm old. 21 years of like, you know, like miles on, on my feet. So. Nice. I mean, I, the amount of people that I talk to on the show that actually start when they're in their twenties or in their thirties is a, not surprising at this point. And as a, as a race organizer, I mean, that's really what your, your biggest demographics are for a lot of races is that late twenties, thirties, and even into the 40 year old category, right? There's not a ton oh, yeah. of people that are doing events that are in their you know, 18 and below. Um, it's a percentage of small. So I'm, I'm not shocked you saying that you got into running, like when you were you know, mid to late twenties and, and have just gone since then. But, um, it always amazes me that that's kind of been the the starting point for a lot of people and in, in getting into it. But what uh, what did you end up factoring in? Because you're getting into running. Did you know anything about like the trail running aspect of it? Because that's the other thing that I've kind of learned too is is as people get into running, you know, road running obviously it's people know the races and they they're a dime a dozen, you know, especially back back then there was so many road races versus trail runs. Um, so people start with the road stuff and get and figure out the trail running aspect of it a little bit afterwards. What was that process for you as far as figuring out the trail run? Yeah. So I did, I, like you said, I did road for a long time, um, before I did trail. Um, I actually got into like triathlons for a little while and did quite a few triathlons. Um, and then, uh, I don't, I don't exactly remember how it happened. Um, but I somehow signed up for an Xterra like trail series race. So are you familiar with Xterra? Yeah. 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 So like it, and it was in San Diego. Um, I, I want to say it was like a 15 K 
Yeah, so, I think they used to do the Xterra out there at Black Mountain. And it was yeah, like, it was either it was uh, it was Mission Gorge, I think, was my first. Or Mission, one. Uh, yeah, sorry, it was uh, yeah, yeah with, Mission the Mission Trails aspect. Of it, yeah, with with those uh, like wood stairs and everything. Yep. yep. And um, so I showed up, and I, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to say like I was like fast, fast, but like I I, I was decently fast. Um, when I was younger on the road, like, I mean, when I say decently fast, like, I think my record is like a one twenty four half marathon, but you know, again, on the road. Um, so I showed up like, you know, ready to put down some speed, not really knowing what to expect, you know, and, um, just fell in love. Like at one point it had rained really hard the day before, and I had to like run through a river and I got mud all over me. <laughs> I remember taking pictures of my legs and my shoes, like, look, I, can you believe this? Like, and I just felt like such a badass that like, you know, and going up those stairs, you know, it's like those railroad ties stairs mm -hmm. in the middle and just all that. It was just such an experience that, so then I immediately just started signing up for a ton of Vixterra races and from Malibu all the way to San Diego, I did like, you know, cool. I think they had one in Laguna beach. They had a couple in Malibu, like kind of like where the bulldog course is and stuff. Um, and just started doing those and just really, really loving them. And then my buddies convinced me to do a Tough mutter, which was also obviously trail and, you know, the obstacles in the trail. And I love that. I got really into obstacle course racing for a little bit. Um, and then I had, I had to do like a, or I didn't have to, I signed up for a 24 hour Tough mutter. So, okay. so at that point it was like, well, shit, I, I better like, I'm going to have to train like to run on the trails really, really far. And that's how I got into doing my first ultra. I did like a 50 K in, in big bear, which is our local mountains. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was a terrible experience, but I survived. And then, um, eventually I got burnt out on like the obstacle course racing. And just like, I was like, you know, I just really like running far. And then I've been in ultras for like, you know, 10 years now doing, doing mostly them. So nice. What, um, are you, what's your distance of choice? I mean, is it, are you always looking at like the hundred miles? Is it 50 mile stuff now? Are you, um, like, I know you did, you've done a couple longer races in the 200 and 300 distance and stuff, but what's your, what's your go-to right now at this point? Yeah. Right. I mean, I love the hundred. Um, I want to love the 200 and I, and I do love it, but I just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. So, and you know, and, and the 200 takes a lot of planning and time. Whereas like, uh, uh and this is going to sound bad, but like a hundred mile race, I can literally run it and go to work the next day. So, um, to me, it's like not a big a time suck. And like, literally, I mean, you could say, Hey, Andy, there's a hundred mile race tomorrow. You want to run it? And I would have to work on, you know, Friday, today's Wednesday. And mentally I could be like, yeah, I can do it. You know, like, whereas like a 200 mile race, I'm going to really have to like think about things and, um, and, and figure it out. But I just like the 20, I like the hundred mile race because I like going from day to night to day. And it's like with a hundred K you go from like day, maybe you finish it in the daytime. Maybe you go a little bit into night, but you don't get that, that going all night. Like that's where I feel like you really like suffer and really get into like the weird mental stuff, you know, because you should be sleeping and you're not, you're running and yeah. it's the dark and, you know, um, 
So I, I feel like if I'm going to race far, then I need to get my money's worth. And to get my money's worth, I have to do hundred miles at least. <laughs> well, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you talk about the, the time suck aspect of it. I mean, the, and not only just the, the race aspect of a 200 plus mile, it's, it's the extra prep work and everything else. Like what's your, you know, when it comes to the hundred mile laps or hundred miles versus the 200, like when it comes to your nutrition prep and, and everything else, like what's, what's, what have you seen personally as the big difference and, and everything else? Cause you obviously with, just as you said, the 200 miles, you have to start worrying about sleep deprivation and all that stuff. Whereas a hundred mile, you can kind of push yourself through that, through the night for one night. Right. right? But yeah, you still have to factor in like the process of when, no, when do I need to eat? Do I need to rest? Do I do I, like how long do you stop at the aid stations and everything else? What's typically, what have you seen works best for you um, during your, your hundred mile races? Uh, I mean, normally what I do is, um, I'm a big aid station eater. So, uh, I, I like to eat at aid stations and then I tend to carry a couple hundred, cal couple hundred calories on me, um, in between aid stations. Yeah. So like, you know, whether it's like, you know, some sort of like bar, like I like those like fig bars or like the goo chews or, you know, something like that, something solid. I don't like um, gels and stuff like that has to be something solid that I can chew on. Um, and I'll try to eat those, like say each aid stations, like eight to 10 miles. So maybe it takes like two hours to get from one aid station. To the other I'll, you know, I'll eat a hundred or 200 calories in between. Then I'll get to the aid station, eat whatever I can find, um, a good amount, probably like five, 500, 600 calories, and then continue on. Um, also like off refilling water and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it changes, like if it's like a hot race, it's going to be different than if it's like a cold race or, um, but I mean, that's normally what I do. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like, um, I just like eating solid food. I I've raced internationally a bunch. And when you, you race international, you have to like be really dependent on aid stations and, um, like, like UTMB, for instance, like gives you one drop bag. So, I mean, you can't really, unless you have like a team with you, it's, it's hard to be getting your own food. So yeah. you have to be sort of reliant on what they offer you. And, um, I, I found most aid stations do a pretty good job. I mean, you know, what's, uh, in, in racing internationally here and in, in nationally, if you can remember, what's one of the best foods that you've been served at, at an aid station and, and which race was it? Do you remember? Uh, and well, so when I was in China, uh, Chinese Red Bull was amazing. I don't know what they put in that. It's probably just straight meth, but uh, <laughs> it came in like a little gold can. And uh, I was I was I was so jet lagged and I, I was literally falling asleep as I was running in China. And my, and my buddy like passed me and he, and I'm like, dude, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I'm falling apart here. I'm like falling asleep. He goes, dude, you got to try these Chinese Red Bull. They're amazing. And I was like, okay, are they at the aid station? He's like, yeah. So I got to the next aid station and I drank a Chinese Red Bull and oh my God, I literally every aid station after that, I drank a Chinese Red Bull. 
I, I probably consumed like 8,000 calories of or milligrams <laughs> of caffeine or something, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, that's pretty epic. Um, but I, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, you know, in Italy, I've had really good pasta. Um, Switzerland had really good like pastries. Um, China, I mean, uh, Japan had like, a. Uh, what's what's the Japanese noodle place? It's like fast food out here, like Yoshimoto or Yoshima. You, you know what I'm talking? It's like a Japanese bowl, like fast food place. We have them in America. Yeah, it's like Y O S H something. Yeah, they had one of those restaurants at the aid station making fresh noodles. That was that was pretty good. Yeah. So. All right. <laughs> The U.S. needs to step our game up. Then we're serving <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. And, <laughs> and I'll tell you, the weirdest thing was, and you know, so like you know, a tomato is a fruit, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. like we had some sort of weird Supreme Court case in the 1800s where they ruled that it was like a vegetable. Um, and so you know, whatever. But like, if you go to China, like it's a fruit, and they put it in fruit salad and stuff. Um, and so like, they have like, that's like a delicacy for them in races is cherry tomatoes. So you get to like the aid station and they don't have like fruit, but they have like big bowls of cherry tomatoes. I'm like, that does not sound good. Like, you know, (laughs) I I get where they're going, but like, I'm, I just can't imagine shoving a bunch of cherry tomatoes in my mouth, like, you know, mid hundred. So, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like I, I love hearing the, how different international is versus what we have here in the States. And that comes from the running. This is the first time I've talked about aid stations in internationally, because it's all, always going to interest me what's there, but um, to have fresh noodles and <laughs> everything yeah. else, it's, it, it's great. Well, um, you know, in UTMB, it's like all, uh, most of the aid stations have meat, cheese, and bread. And it's literally like salami, hard white cheese, and, and baguettes. At every oh. aid station, that's like the uh, and that and the Europeans love it, man. They're just shoving it all in their mouth and like it's crazy. I mean, we would never. I mean, I guess we have a lot of bacon at aid stations in America. Yeah. I, I've I've seen I've seen a lot of bacon. That's probably weird to them, but yeah. Well, it sounds like the I don't know, maybe it was just the the Japanese place, but you. Know, does internationally rely on some of the, have you seen them relying on more like the restaurants to help out with the aid stations or is it no, because here, because here you're, you're pretty much working with volunteers that are bringing in their own stuff. Like, Hey, we, you know, like, Hey, help us out, bring, bring something in to help out. Like you said, bacon ends up showing up at, at aid yeah, stations. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, the race directors aren't making bacon right, right, yeah. th- th- that morning. So it, we're kind of relying on volunteers to bring in stuff sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, so I just did, um, yeah, I think that was the only time I've ever seen like a restaurant, although I just did Bighorn and in Wyoming and at one of the aid stations, they're like famous for, they bring in McDonald's. And oh. so like you get, you get to the aid station and they have all these burgers and then it's, it's an out and back. So you run through this one aid station, you run all the way up to the top of this mountain, then you turn around and run all the way back. So you get back to that aid station. It's like morning time. And they had um, egg McMuffins and hash browns from McDonald's as well. Nice. So that, I mean, that was, that was something I hadn't seen before, but you know, it's <laughs> different. What, um, 
Speaking of some of your good experiences, what's what's one of the best experiences you've you've seen? It whether it's whether it's on in a race or in your own experience on one of your own trail runs. Like, what's one of the best experiences you've ever had out there on the trails? Um, I think I one of my favorites is, uh, and I and I need to do it again is the rim to rim to rim mm-hmm. in uh, the Grand Canyon. Uh, one time I just got a wild hair up my ass and drove out there and like ran it just solo by myself and like filtered my own water and like did the whole thing. And man, that is like such a beautiful experience. So, like, I felt like the entire time I was running through like a national geographic or something like that. Um, it's basically, you start on the South rim of the grand Canyon, you run down into the grand Canyon, run through the grand Canyon, run up the North rim and then turn around and run back yeah so um yeah that's i mean that that's a pretty amazing experience i i i would highly recommend it for people who have never done it and you can just do one way you don't have to go out yeah you don't have to go both ways i mean i think it's it's just uh, logistically having someone pick you up on the other side is probably challenging but um i think it's the right it's like right around 50 miles Depend. I mean, you can make it. I think a little shorter if you if you want, but s- somewhere around there. Yeah. And well, from see, I mean, from the scenery, even just that alone. I mean, you're gonna see some of your best scenic views in in the Grand Canyon down there when you're doing both both rims. You know, it's like yeah. Oh, it's just it's so beautiful. It's un, it's unreal. So, um, what is uh, again, okay, you've done how many how many races have you done at this point in time? You know, I'm not, I'm not good with, you know, numbers and stuff. Um, I don't know. It's a lot. We'll just call it. It's a lot. We'll just just say it's a lot. Probably North is like 60 or 70, something like that. Okay. Well, based on the knowledge you have now and what you've accomplished in your racing career and just in the streak and everything else, like looking back at when you first started as a, 24 year old into running if you could go back and tell yourself one thing or a couple things like this is what you need to know this is what you should expect and understand as you get into it is there anything that you can think of top of your head that you'd want to tell yourself oh just about running because <laughs> if yeah. i went well back, any, i mean anything i mean obviously you've <laughs> it would be like gained, don't get this so much experience it, like you know no um I mean, you've gained uh, so much experience just from the, from a racing perspective and what you've learned about yourself through the streak and through doing stuff, you know, like how to mentally yeah. prepare through, you know, running a, run, running a quarter mile loop on or, you know, for a hundred miles around a fire station is obviously teaches us something mentally there too. I mean, if there's anything that you've learned along the way that you could go back and, and tell yourself, and it, again, it doesn't have to be race related, but. I mean, I think I would just tell myself to like, when I was younger, I just ran so fast all the time and never, you know, the whole 80, 20 rule that we all talk about now, I never did any 80, 20 work. Um, and then I was always pulling muscles and getting hurt and stuff like that. And in, in the beginning, cause that was just like, I, if I wasn't running like a six minute mile, I felt like I wasn't running. And so, you know, um, it would definitely be a, like a hard talk about, you know, slowing down to get faster and, 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 you know, focused on that. And then, 
I don't know. I probably talk a lot about like gear, you know, like good shoes. And, you know, I, I definitely in the beginning didn't know what I was doing when it came to gear, um, which I think probably could have made me more successful if like I wore proper shoes and proper socks and, you know, things that that I that I just didn't focus on back then. So um, and then I'd also say, like, just wait, man, you're going to have a watch that you're going to be able to like have a map in it and it's going to like keep track of everything. I mean, you know, back when I was 24, I used to like, there was no watches or any of that stuff. And you, if you wanted to know how far you, you know, ran, you had well, to drive was, it or like, you know, yeah, there's no iPhones. You can't really pull up a, they can't pull up a map on, on your, on the phone. So there was nothing. I mean, I remember when map my run came out and it was like, Oh my God, we can draw on a map and it'll tell us how far we've gone. I mean, it was yeah. like, I would go run and then I would go back and on map my run, draw what I had run. <laughs> and then it would tell me like, uh, you know, how far I had gone. And then I would like put in how many minutes it had taken me. Cause I'd have like my Timex watch, you know, Oh, 42 yeah. minutes, you know? And then I would do the math like, okay, you were running a, you know, a seven 11 mile, you know, but you didn't know which one was seven 11. Like, was I running six 15s and then eights or like, you know, you didn't know yeah. shit. So, um, yeah, the, I would definitely be like, the technology is going to blow, blow you away. So, <laughs> and then I, I would also, uh, I would tell myself like, please keep better track of all your miles because I don't have like really good records of like probably like the first 10 years of my like running. And I would love to know like, you know, what my total miles are, you know, people are always telling me my knees are going to give out and all this stuff. And, you know, I know they will because that's what happens when you get old and you know your knees give out. But I I, I would love to say like I got a hundred thousand miles on these knees. You know I don't I don't know what the number is. Yeah. Um, on Strava, which I've had Strava for I think right around ten years, I'm almost at fifty thousand miles. So, um, but I don't know what I did before that. You know, it, it wasn't as much, but still, I probably have another another twenty thousand miles somewhere. So, yeah, wow. yeah. Um, what's, what's next? What, what, uh, what event or what do you got planned out for your next adventure? So next is UTMB, which okay. is September 1st. Um, it'll be my fourth time running it. And it's my, you know, it's like my favorite race I, for lots of reasons. I mean, it's really, really hard and it's really, really beautiful. Um, and just, I, I love, I love racing internationally. I love being around thousands of runners from all over the world. Um, there's just something about it. That's just like really cool. Uh, I mean, I love local races too, and I love small races, but, um, yeah, the I, UTMB experience is, is like pretty special. I've always, I've always wanted to go and check, check something like that out. I'm, I, I'm not a big mileage runner anymore. Um, but you know, to be just experience it. I mean, I know international races are a completely different beast when it comes to the spectator aspect of it too. Yes. And the amount of people that draws in the amount of people that come to watch where you're hanging out at the, you know, to see some of those photos at UTMB when people just line the streets. Yeah. You know, like it's almost they, like they're like the cycling races over there. Right. Like yeah. just, it's just people wanting to watch to see who's going to finish. It's, it's amazing to me. I always yeah. wanted to kind of do a check that out. It's gotta be just a huge, like you turn that corner and see everybody, you know, it's gotta just be crushing. It's just like, okay, let's do this. But it's the whole race. I mean, you'll be up in the middle yeah. of the mountains and there'll be all these little kids 
like dressed head to toe in Solomon with like cowbells. And they're like so excited that you're running by them, you know, and it'll be like, I mean, it's just the everybody gets so into it, you know? Um, it's fun. It's definitely a wild experience. And then just hanging out in Chamonix for a couple days before and a couple days after is always just like super fun. And, you know, yeah, I was going to ask like, what's your, uh, over the, this being the fourth year, like what's your, um, process for going over there? You just going over a couple of days prior to just to get, um, somewhat acclimated or you, or do you, have you tried to go longer periods of time over there prior to the event? So, I don't really. Okay. So it's a night race start. It starts at 6 PM. And, um, the weird thing is, is like 6 PM French time is like 9 AM California time. Oh, so in my mind, I'm like not trying to get acclimated, you know, cause it's like my body clock, even though it's like about to get dark it, in my mind, it's like 9 AM. Yeah. So like, you know, I just kind of embrace it every time I've done it. It's taken me like 30 something hours. So I'm, I'm hitting two nights, no matter what the first yeah. night. And then I'll, I hit another night, you know, the next day. So, um, getting acclimated isn't going to like, for me, is not going to do anything for me. Um, we've done it a couple of times. Like, uh, the first time we went to Paris and hung out in Paris for a week, then took the train down to Chamonix, raced it and went back to Paris. Um, one time we like hung out in Chamonix for a while. Then we flew to Iceland and had a vacation in Iceland while we were out there. But yeah, this time we're just flying out. We fly into Geneva which is like 45 minutes from Chamonix and then a couple of days before and a couple of days after. So just enough time to enjoy the area and get my race in. Yeah. So. Oh, sweet, man. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck there at that and everything else you got coming up. And, um, you know, I, I follow you on social media and it's always fun to kind of see what, what you're going to post next uh, with everything. So keep that, keep that up. You're becoming the, yeah. A very good trail social influencer, which is awesome to see that. I I know it's super random stuff, but you know, it's just, I always tell people, it's just me. I don't got a team or anything. I'm just, you know, I post like literally whatever the frick I feel like. Cause it's like, you know, I don't have anybody telling me what to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, keep that up, man. It's, it's fun, um, but it's, but that's the fun aspect of it though. Like it's the, it's the everyday athlete. You're not, you know, you don't have a sponsor, like controlling like hey you need to post this so many yeah. times during the week or whatever it's just like just it's just raw stuff for what you're coming coming up with you know so it's keep it up man it's it's fun to watch for sure it's very raw very raw <laughs> <laughs> all right brother well thank you very much for joining me i really appreciate it yeah of course the trail life podcast is hosted and produced by me jeff stoner Music is provided by the Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this episode and the entire Trail Life podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or anywhere you find your favorite podcast episodes. Thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you out on the trails real soon.